I am Anthony Fowler. I'm Viola Juda. I am Will Howell, and this is Not Another Politics Podcast. Here we are in this persistent age of disaffection and distrust. It's sort of, we talk about political institutions and all the ways people look skeptically upon them, on Congress and on the courts. And then when we pan out, we see further distrust, even on science itself. Even as we pulled out of a pandemic where science played a a kind of a vital role in, in, in saving us. And also a vital role in causing it as well. Well, we don't know yet, do we? <laughs> we don't know if it was the lab or it was something else. As someone who currently has COVID, yeah. I'm grateful for you, science. Thank you. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Well, yeah, so I guess if you asked a lot of people who mistrust science, they would give you a series of arguments why they do. I, I think one of the arguments might be the behavior of scientists or the involvement of scientists in policymaking and in politics. I think a lot of people feel that they can't trust scientists because they have biases, they have their ideological positions, they have their political uh, preferences, and somehow, maybe not directly the research that they conduct, but the conclusions that they draw from their research and the way they try to use their research to affect policymaking and politics is is not completely unbiased, it's actually serving their uh, partisan or ideological interests. So, Anthony, you spoke to someone who has a fascinating paper on exactly that question. I did. Um, I did. I want to I stop and, and point out that you guys, you, you've got this very calm, mellow approach today, maybe more so than normal. You're using your public radio voices. And this is not an episode for your public radio <laughs> voices. I am worked up about this. I am fired up and we're going to talk about it. And maybe it's because I have COVID, but and I may, who knows? But but we're going to get you out of that malaise because this is a, this is a big topic today. Um, we are scientists with... and we will always talk about everything dispassionately. <laughs> and we are completely unbiased. I spoke with Floyd Zhang. Uh, about this really interesting paper. Floyd is a recent uh, recent PhD from the Stanford Graduate School of Business who is currently uh, an economist at Instacart. He told us that we could mention Instacart, but that we had to also say that Instacart takes no position on this, that this research was completely independent, has nothing to do with Instacart. So, But I spoke with Floyd about this really interesting paper. And it's about, like you said, it's about uh, political endorsements by scientific journals, by the scientific nature, and about what effect that has on both political attitudes, the things that are actually being endorsed, reactions to that, and also about perceptions of uh, the journal itself and about the scientific community. So um, this is a really interesting topic that everyone who cares about science should care about. And we had we had a really interesting conversation. Well, Floyd, it's great to it's great to it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for for speaking with us. And maybe you were just being nice, but you said you're an act- actually a fan of the podcast. Yes, I am. <laughs> Okay, excellent. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, so you were yeah you were a graduate student at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and you wrote this really interesting paper in Nature Human Behavior called "Political Endorsement by Nature and Trust in Scientific Expertise During COVID nineteen." What was what was the motivation for this paper? Tell me a little about what you were thinking about when you when you conceived of this project. Yeah, that was shortly before the twenty twenty election. I was a graduate student, and I was under shelter in place in my studio apartment, worrying about my research, worrying about the state of COVID, worrying about the state of US politics. And I probably spent way too much time online checking the most recent COVID data and 
the most recent news about the upcoming election. So I think it was on Twitter that I came across this news that Nature endorsed Biden. I just had this very pessimistic hunch that this was going to make things worse, not better, for all the reasons stated in the paper. This was one of the very rare cases in which doom scrolling led to productive result. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's, yeah. So tell me more about the actual design. How did you go? So like you said, Nature explicitly endorsed Joe Biden in the election. You thought this is kind of this is pretty remarkable. I want to study the effects of this. So how did you how did you do that? So I recruited over 4,000 participants online, and I randomly, with 50-50 probability, assigned them into either the control group or the treatment group. In the treatment group, people saw a short message about nature's endorsement of Biden and why nature said they endorsed Biden. And in the control group, the participants saw basically a placebo message that has nothing with, uh, to do with the endorsement. It was about Nature's announcement of their new visual design. And both groups were reminded that Nature is one of the most prestigious scientific journals. And then subsequently, I asked them to answer several questions about how much they trusted Nature, how much they trusted scientists in general, and what were their views about Biden or Trump. And in addition to all those self-reported measures, I also try to elicit some behavioral response. I asked them to acquire information by offering them some easy-to-read article about new COVID variants and how well available vaccines perform against them. So this was a very sitting topic at that time because that was early during the Delta variant surge in the U.S. I offered them a list of easy-to-read articles and observed the rate at which they access uh, the, the nature article offered there. It's a really simple, nice, clean design, really interesting questions. Tell me about some of the results. So uh, did, did nature's endorsement work in the sense that, you know, maybe the editors were hoping that they would persuade people to support Biden? Did they actually change people's views on, on the candidates and so forth? I found no evidence that the endorsement changed people's view about Biden or Trump. And I didn't ask people their vote intention. I asked them more narrowly framed the question about nature and Trump, who would be the better president to handle COVID and who will listen to the science more when they make decisions. So those questions are tailored to the nature's endorsement message because I thought maybe this way it will be more conducive to finding some some effect because vote intention is very hard to move. But it turned out that even then there was no detectable effect on people's view about those issues and the confidence intervals are quite narrow so we can rule out large effect. Okay, that's really interesting. So no no effect on on at least evaluations of Biden and Trump by that measure. What about evaluations of nature, the the you know this the scientific journal how how did this how did this endorsement change people's views on them as a as a credible scientific source? I found that seeing the endorsement led to large reductions in Trump supporters' self-reported trust in nature. And for Biden supporters, it led to a small increase in self-reported trust. So in the aggregates, what you see is a lower level of average trust and more polarization along the party line. And what about the scientific community more generally beyond just nature? What were the effects on those kinds of outcomes? Seeing the endorsement also led to a reduction in Trump supporters' self-reported trust in U.S. scientists in general. And for Biden supporters, there's small positive effect or no effect, but the magnitude of those effect sizes are smaller. So this suggests that people make some generalization about the scientific community. Okay, so that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Were you surprised? So, I mean, some of these results sound 
are pretty much what I would expect. You know, I think if I think a lot of, and I'm I'm curious to hear some of your, you know, we can, maybe we can get to some of your opinions later on and some of your expectations. But it's not too surprising that nature didn't dramatically change how people feel about Biden and Trump, and it's not too surprising that this endorsement, this very political endorsement, would make Trump supporters say. Oh my gosh, maybe maybe nature's not as objective as we thought they were. Maybe they're just a pretty partisan. Anyway, so that makes a lot of sense. What about what about for the Biden supporters? Were you surprised by that? Biden supporters, it's not as big as for the Trump supporters going the other direction, but Biden supporters actually increase their assessments of nature. Again, it's not by a huge amount, but did that surprise you? Wouldn't you think that even a lot of Biden supporters would have said, I'd rather get my scientific information from a more neutral, non-partisan organization. You know what I mean? Couldn't you imagine it going the other way? I'm just curious if you had expectations there. Yeah, so my, uh, this is actually consistent with my theoretic expectation. In that model, the receiver of the information are unsure about the quantity of the information source. So what do they do? They compare the information they receive with their own prior. So if, it, if the information goes against their prior, they trust the information source less. But if it is consistent with their own prior, they say, oh, those guys are really informed. They really know what they are doing. And so this is not surprising at all. We've been talking about Trump supporters and Biden supporters, but of course, some people are in the middle. And it looks like in your, you know, just based on the summary stats in your paper, roughly 10% of your sample didn't said they didn't support either Trump or Biden. But most of the results we've been talking about so far are about Trump and Biden supporters. Did you separately analyze the people who were in the middle who didn't support either either candidate? Yes, uh, the exclusion of those people who said they supported neither candidate was part of the pre-analysis plan. But privately, I did look into the data for those individuals. And it seemed that directionally seeing the endorsement reduced their trust in both nature and scientists in general. But in fact, it's not always significant because this is a smaller subsample, like 9% of the total sample. It doesn't seem to be the case that the endorsement swayed their opinion about Biden or Trump either. And also interestingly, the endorsement doesn't seem to have any effect on their willingness to acquire information about COVID variants from nature which is unlike in the case of Trump supporter, where he reduced their willingness to acquire information from nature. So when people learn that nature endorsed Joe Biden, it seems to have no detectable effect on people's evaluations of Biden and Trump. It has a clearly negative effect on average of people's evaluations of nature. And even this spillover into kind of evaluation of the scientific, you know, scientific field in general and so forth. So why would why would the editors of Nature do this? Is this is this clearly a mistake that they made? What do you think? I mean, is this a terrible idea for editors of journals to weigh in on political matters like this? I think it's possible that they didn't anticipate those effects. And it's possible that they anticipated this endorsement would not sway people's mind, but they probably didn't anticipate a large negative effect on nature or scientists' reputation. So they may be they might be thinking it wouldn't hurt. On the day when the paper was published, Nature also issued an editorial statement, also gave the result a very fair discussion. And then, but they came to the conclusion that when similar situation arise, they will still do the same thing, which was a, a bit puzzling to me. What you, can you even summarize that argument? I read it and I don't really understand their argument either. Their argument just seems to be, um, this is really important, but it's not clear why. It's not clear what they think they're getting out of this. What do you think? How do you interpret their argument? Yeah, I think their argument was basically 
we were responding to a very bad situation. Trump, Bolsonaro, and Orban, all those guys were undermining science. And I'm paraphrasing, they said, inaction also has cost because that situation was very bad. Um, I think that argument was quite poorly argued because my my paper suggests their, their editorial piece had no effect on people's view about the political situation. So if your action is not changing the, if, uh, the situation for the better, then whatever bad situation we are in is not the cause of your inaction. The way I interpret their response is that this is a descriptive explanation of why they did what they did. And I can absolutely emphasize that because at that time I was worrying about the same thing as they were worrying about. I just didn't think what they were doing would help. So I can absolutely emphasize with that. But I think as a prescriptive argument for why they should still do the same thing in similar situation in the future, I think the argument largely missed the mark. I mean, what can we do in general? So, you know, I, I, you and I, I assume, care about science. The reason we're doing this, the reason that we're in the field that we're in is because we believe that scientific evidence can make the world a better place and help people make better decisions and so forth. For people who really are committed to science, how do we overcome this problem of politicization in science that, that a lot of people won't believe us because they're worried that we have some ulterior motives? And it, it seems like a reasonable worry that, that a lot of scientists do have ulterior motives or do have a political agenda sometimes. So how, I mean, I know, or I'm asking you to go well beyond the scope of your paper now, but what, what, what do we do about this problem? It seems like a really serious one. Well, first of all, I would like to draw a distinction between making political statement and making policy statement. And prior research in science communication largely showed that when scientists make policy statements, policy advocacy, even when it's about very politically divisive issue like climate change and how we mitigate that, uh, the, uh, the effects are largely benign. So there was no this kind of backlash when you speak only about policy. But when you come to politics, I will be a little more cautious. My results suggest that making a political endorsement might be a very bad idea. But what if you, what if nature call out Trump for undermining science without explicitly endorsing an alternative? Would that damage credibility of scientists? I will also be cautious, but I don't have a strong intuition either way. I think the reason why trust in scientific expertise is not as high as we would like it to be is largely structural. There's this increase in political polarization in the US in the past decades, and much of this polarization is along the education line. And also, Americans' trust in all kinds of institutions are at low level at this, at this time. So if you look at the Gallup survey about trust in major institutions, actually scientists are doing relatively well compared to most other major institutions. And you also see that in my paper. In the control group, actually, people have a great deal of trust in nature and in scientists in general, especially if you compare that to those Gallup results about other institutions. Although the, the question wording are not exactly comparable, but it's hard not to walk away with the impression that scientists are actually the, one of the most trusted professional institutions in the US right now. So I wrote my paper in a very glass half empty way in which I said, you know, there's trust deficits in scientists relative to what we would like it to be. 
And also, we cannot take that trust for granted. There are things, if scientists aren't careful with their messaging, they can damage that trust. But there is also a glass half full view of that, is that given those structural factors, actually trusting scientific expertise are holding up fairly well. I hope people smarter than I am can come up with creative solution to increase trust in science. But there is a possibility that the best scientists can do is to hold on to their relatively higher level of public trust and not damage it and make sure they don't damage it. And also, one form of pushback that I got a lot, some of them are from those editors and some of them are from random people on the internet. People were saying that, you know, why do we even care? Trump supporters, Republicans never care about science, never listen to science. I think they also misunderstood the situation because if you, again, no matter if you are looking at Gallup survey or my own survey, trust in scientific expertise among Trump supporters or Republicans are actually reasonably high, especially considering the Republican Party is now a party of distrust or major institution in general. So it is now clear what people mean when they say Republicans never trust science. Because you know most Republicans have taken the vaccine as of now. When people say Republicans never trust science, I think what they are saying is that uh, trust in scientific expertise among Republicans is too low relative to what we think they should be. And I largely agree with that. But I think people would be wise not to not to talk themselves into thinking trust in scientists among Republicans is literally at zero. So. Scientists have nothing to lose when you come to communicating with Republicans. I think that's a very counterproductive way of thinking about things. Do you think, and I'm really asking you to go beyond your paper here, and you can, you can of course, stop me at any point if you don't want to answer. Do you think that nature's decision to endorse Biden, and then maybe their response to your piece and kind of doubling down on it, does it reveal a deeper problem in science? Of course, I mean, there, there's the problem, there's the PR problem of we don't want scientific journals to seem like partisan mouthpieces. That's, that's obviously bad for just for credibility and kind of PR of science. But, but is there actually a deeper problem that's much harder to solve, which is that our leading scientists and the editors of scientific journals, maybe they don't really even believe in democracy and don't think regular people can be trusted to decide for themselves who should be president. And they think they, the the expert, important people should get to decide, you know, I mean, or do they, are, are they, should we trust them when they come out and say, you know, this is a scientific fact, maybe they're just telling us the facts that they want us to know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm now adopting the view of the kind of the skeptic conspiracy theorist here, but is there a, is there something, is there something deeper there that should concern us? I think if there is a deeper problem, it is the fact that in the age of social media, maybe people sometimes are, overly motivated by expressive concern. They, people may make statements just, just because they want to get this off their chest, which I completely understand. But I think if you are representative of major institutions, I think it's better if we take the costs and benefits of speaking out into consideration more than ordinary people. So, this is grim. Well, which part is grim? 
Well, I think the immediate fallout suggests that there's no learning about the candidates per se. The immediate effect is to say that a whole bunch of people, precisely the people who start out looking more skeptically upon science as an endeavor, their skepticism is only fortified and they withdraw from an opportunity to learn more about science. And there's not much upswing for, for Democrats who at baseline were sort of more open to the scientific community and the, and the scientific method as a way of both learning about the world and, 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 and organizing our efforts to meet its many challenges. I mean, sitting behind this, I think it's worth noting that part of the reason why nature felt compelled to do this, Trump, in their view, had waged a long-standing assault on science. This wasn't that Trump was too conservative or that they have a long-standing practice of picking their preferred candidates in political campaigns. It's that they saw Trump as being anathema to and a threat to um, investments in, in science. And so as a scientific journal, they felt like they needed to come up and say something. But in so doing so, there are all these there's, – there's considerable fallout. Do you think that's do you think that's fair to Trump? I mean, is it really something specific about Trump's anti-science position that caused nature to kind of break precedent? I mean, you could probably make a stronger case for say George Bush being an anti-science president. George Bush was opposed to stem cell research. George Bush was at least at least in certain times opposed to teaching evolution in schools, things like that and and actually did actively try to cut science funding pretty dramatically. I don't think when I think of the most salient features of Donald Trump, I don't think of them as being anti-science. Um, not a, I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump, but like, I, you know, I, I don't know if that's fair to say. I mean, isn't it possible that they did this just because they really didn't like Trump for other reasons? I think the basic thing that's going on here is that people do not think, and here I'm putting my thoughts into people's minds, but I don't think people think that there's a role of professional medical journal to speak about politics. It's not the right thing to use the platform that's supposed to be for conveying scientific information to talk about politics. So like if the same group of scientists wrote an open letter saying we do not support Donald Trump, that, that could have a different effect than when the same group of scientists decides to use their public platform that was given to them for completely different purposes to talk about their personal politics. But isn't the decision about how much to invest in science and how much discretion to give scientists in the writing of policy, those are political decisions. And I think it's perfectly reasonable to think that a journal like, like this one would know more than, certainly than the average voter, but more than most people about how much is being invested in, in, invested in science and what measure of discretion is given to scientists in the formulation of policy. And in that way, it isn't them stepping forward saying, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm for or against gun control and that's informing my endorsement. It, it's born of this primary concern, which sits at the very center of what the journal's about. To be fair, the endorsement was a little bit broader than just, you know, healthcare policy. They were talking about democracy and all these related issues. That wasn't part of the treatment. The treatment was a very sort of stripped down version of the endorsement. But presumably some of those people, you know, might have been reminded about the endorsement that they read. And the endorsement was extremely wide. It was more like it is our, you know, responsibility to speak up when we see something wrong happening. And we have this long list of wrong things that are happening with Trump and some of it is the response to COVID. Yes, they did not write. I mean, they could have written, they could have said, look, as, 
as scientists, we are, you know, we're an interest group, just like the teachers unions. And it just so happens that the Democratic Party is more aligned with us on our narrow interests. And Joe Biden wants to give more funding to science and so forth. That wouldn't have been very convincing either to a lot of people, but I don't think it would have changed lots of people's minds. Instead, they wrote this piece that said, we speak for science. Science says Joe Biden is the right choice for president, which is absurd. Do you think that the, the content of the argument is what's driving these results as opposed to simply the fact of the endorsement? Theoretically, you would expect that it would matter. You would expect that, uh, you know, an endorsement that's written in a humbler way that very clearly lays out, look, here's what comes from our personal values and here's what comes from scientific evidence. And, you know, you can decide for yourself how to wait. That presumably a lot of people would read that differently from just this, you know, the statement that science says that you have to vote for Joe Biden. Um, and there's maybe one strange bit of evidence in the paper that might be consistent with that interpretation is that even among people who say they already knew that nature had endorsed Joe Biden, even those people, there was a bit of a negative effect. And it could be that they already had heard, maybe they had heard in the news that nature endorsed Joe Biden, but they hadn't actually read the endorsement. And maybe reading the endorsement further reinforced that, oh man, not only did they endorse Biden, but they did so in this kind of arrogant way that makes me worried that they're not reliable purveyors of scientific information. It's, it's certainly possible. When I think about me being in the treatment group, <laughs> even if they endorse the candidate that I would like to vote for, I think this endorsement would have had a negative effect on my perception of their credibility, because I feel like implicitly we have this agreement that when I open Nature or any other scientific journal, I'm giving them my time to tell me about the latest research findings. I am not giving them an invitation to tell me about their political views or how the research findings translate into their political choices and how they think it should translate into my choices. You know, they are not fulfilling the implicit agreement that we have when we establish a scientific journal. And there are, yeah, there are a few things you learn from this endorsement. You learn on the one hand, okay, the editors of Nature probably have left of center political values. And if you have left to center values, then you might say, okay, that makes me that makes me think that we have the same values. But when I'm consuming science, I'm I don't care about political values. I care about is this true? Is this reliable information? And the other thing I learned from this endorsement is they have a strong political motivation to get me to vote one particular direction, which might make me worry that they're gonna distort scientific evidence in whatever way they think is useful for their political agenda. Hey, if you're getting a lot out of the research that we discuss on this show, there's another University of Chicago podcast network show that you should check out. It's called Capital Isn't. Capital Isn't uses the latest economic thinking to zero in on the ways that capitalism is, and more often than not isn't, working today. From the debate over how to distribute a vaccine to the morality of a wealth tax, Capitalism clearly explains how capitalism can go wrong and what we can do about it. Listen to Capitalism, part of the University of Chicago Podcast Network. So when the study came out, of course, it was a big hit everywhere, <laughs> and especially on Twitter. So, uh, you know, I tried to stay away from Twitter, but... but uh, some of the responses really stuck in my mind and I was wondering what you think of them. So, so a lot of people defended nature. 
science people or science related people and uh, so we are we we seem to be different but we need a new term for those people aren't actually committed to scientific <laughs> principles but consider themselves members of the elite scientific class okay yes <laughs> so i'm going to bring up one very extreme argument and it's definitely extreme and there's a lot in the argument that i disagree with but but i think it's sort of um it's a good starting point so so someone brought up hitler and nazi germany and they said <laughs> we went there already okay yeah. oh, <laughs> yes i think i think it's uh, <laughs> hear me out good, good, good. Uh, you know if, if we were scientists uh, when hitler was coming to power and his early um days in power and we were let's say physicists who don't know about politics but we know about the dangers of nuclear bombs and and uh, weapons like you know it would have been wrong for us to just continue our studies as usual and not speak up yeah i'm going to leave it as as you know as is here and and hear your reaction yeah i think there's a general way of characterizing that point which in really perilous times you have an obligation to use whatever platform you have to speak out. Scientists have this journal. Professional athletes have other different kinds of platforms. They don't have any particular expertise, and yet periodically they too will come out and say, here's where I stand. And those who don't speak out when looking back will be seen as being on the wrong side of history. How could you not have done the thing? And so what this study here presented before us shows is that there's an immediate it's, in the short term, it's counterproductive. In the short term, there's blowback. But it doesn't speak to the longer term implications of the reputation of scientists generally or of this journal in particular. I find, I find this, the Hitler argument extremely uncompelling and for, and for multiple reasons. So one reason is just the purely pragmatic one. Suppose we all, suppose we all agree that, that yes, we, we have to make sure Hitler doesn't get elected we should by use by all means whatever whatever strategy we can. This is not an effective way of doing that. By by nature coming out and saying we we support, you know, we 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 were against Hitler, that's not going to change anyone's mind. So that's the one bit of evidence in this paper. You know, but but beyond those purely pragmatic considerations, like it's just the wrong thing to do. And then the last thing is just this the, all of this reflects a misunderstanding of what science does and doesn't do. Science doesn't tell you which political candidate is better. It's just it's just not what science does. And even actually, I even actually disagree with Floyd here. Floyd and I, you know, Floyd and I talked about this in the interview a little bit. He said, I, I could imagine scientific journals saying, endorsing specific policies and saying, well, this policy is the right policy. We won't tell you who to vote for, but we, we endorse this policy. I disagree with Floyd on that too. I think science doesn't tell you what the right policy is either. Policy decisions are the result of both values and, you know, beliefs about the effects of those policies. So, the science might tell you about if we implement this policy, here are the likely effects of it. The science doesn't tell you, therefore, this is the right policy and it's better than that other policy. And here's exactly how you should make trade-offs. And then let and then let people figure out for themselves, okay, given that information, what is the right, you know, and, and not just to say, you know, not just to say this policy is the best one, but uh, this policy is likely going to have the following upsides and the following downsides. Like science, like thing, there's, there's always trade-offs in life. So it's irresponsible of scientists to do anything other than that. And it's also ineffective. They're mitigating their own effectiveness. They would be more effective if they were more honest, because instead, if they just come out and say, science has decreed that the right policy is X or the right candidate is Y, um, a lot of people are just going to stop listening to them and saying, okay, like they're just like any other pundit. I think that's the most compelling thing about the paper, which is that presumably they felt, the journal felt compelled 
because they were alarmed at, at least in part, at Trump's assault on democracy broadly and science in particular. And so they want, and they saw that he his rising support represented an acute threat to something that they deeply believed in. But by issuing this thing, the the, the problem metastasized. And that brings me back to to what you said, Will, about uh, sports figures uh, making endorsements. And in a sense, when you think about why is it okay for a sports person to make this endorsement, I guess, because, yeah, there's some probability that some people will be swayed by this endorsement and some others will be put off. But there's no sort of wider reputation on the line. It's it's this sports person maybe is losing their reputation vis-a-vis certain people, but there's no, it's not that sports community is losing reputation of conveying some information to us in a truthful way. And uh, and it's not that it's really important that we trust them. And and I think this is what the nature missed. They, they just missed this fact that they there's this losing reputation effect that has not only effect on them, you know, the, the, the three or four or seven people who signed this uh, editorial, but on other people who publish in this journal, other scientists um, and um, people who advise policymakers on science. But I, 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 there is one thing I want to say. I'm going to say something really controversial, which is, uh, of course, I believe in science. We, the reason we're doing this podcast is because we care about science and evidence and so forth. And, and we think that science is a way of, of improving the world and a way of informing people and a way of learning more and so forth. And science is intrinsically valuable, but also, also has all kinds of practical value. But trust in science per se is not something that we want to maximize. People should have the appropriate amount of trust in science. And if scientists are abusing that, if science are in fact being irresponsible or imposing their own moral values on other people, then they shouldn't be trusted. And so there's a small part of me that wonders, is it actually good that nature came out and revealed their strong political preference and undermined trust in science in the sense that maybe people shouldn't have been trusting science as much as they were? And what this, this reveals, this reveals to something to people that, that science is not as trustworthy as it was before. That, you know, I don't, I don't just want to, I don't just want to coach nature and, and, you know, I don't want to go to the scientific journals and say, here's how you can change your PR strategy to get people to trust you more. What I want them to do is actually practice science in a way that make, should make people deservedly trust them more. And I'm not sure they're doing that. Sure, sure. But the question is, what baseline are we working from? And I guess I'd suspect, I'd suggest that the levels of interest in and commitment to actual real science are not as high as they ought to be. Um, And that this therefore proved counterproductive. This as an intervention did take an American public that was caught up in a kind of a haze and euphoria about all the goodness that flows from science and offers a meaningful corrective and shows the fallibility of individual scientists and their um, ideological and partisan biases. That we're working from a baseline where there's a lot of disinterest, I think, in having a very reasonable and serious-minded conversation about things like climate change. Like, we can't get there. And so, to my mind, this is not a story about getting a public to kind of bow before the scientific method. That's, that's ridiculous. But the level of disinterest in actual real science is lamentable. Therefore, when these kinds of actions are taken, it's really counterproductive. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. You, may, you might be right, but I don't know. Like, what's the right baseline level of trust in science? 
it's not obvious to me that trust in science on average is too high or too low. I think, I think we have very high trust in gravity, very high trust in periodicity of elements, pretty high trust in evolution by natural selection. Like um, interest in, engagement with, <laughs> like what do we actually know uh-huh. about fill in the blank, about something involved in climate change? I think there's widespread actually among significant portions of the public disinterest. They just as soon wave it away. But it could be, it might be reasonable that they're waving it away. I think there's probably a ton of overconfidence from the climate scientists. And, and I think the public... It's not because they've engaged and they see the, the limits of know. the studies on offer. It's... Not everybody. Not, I mean, I'm sure, surely not everybody. No, not everyone has infinite amount of time. But if you ask people, like, how much faith do you have in different kinds of scientific claims? I don't know. I think people, I, I bet people would do better than you think. This is my, this is my rational voter bell going off again. Like, I just, uh, I, I haven't seen any compelling evidence that people have the wrong amount of trust in science. I think it still bothers me. So, so again, you know, if you read Floyd's study, you see that at that time there were 81 Nobel Prize winners who signed a letter saying, you know, we endorse a Biden. I think there's a difference between us speaking up as a, as a person, maybe even in a group. It's also okay for some association of scientists to stand up and say, we are troubled by a policy change where funding is being cut. So again, this is, you know, the parallel to teachers union and so on. But I don't think it's okay for the seven editors of an academic journal who are not elected there based on their political activists, based on their, you know, political skill, based on their values. They were elected to be there based on presumably their scientific standing and judgment. It's not okay for them to suddenly say, hey, you know, you put us in this positional power because of that. You gave us a very narrow mandate and we are going to abuse it and talk about politics. I don't think, you know, I don't want to open like APSR or Econometrica and ER and, and read the editorial, which is about, hey, we are worried because, uh, you know, economics or... Or the QJPS. Uh, QJPS would never do that. So I did not include that. We did actually. Uh, uh, so I, I, actually... We tweeted, uh, <laughs> so I am editor-in-chief of the QJPS. And on the day that this was being discussed, this is a Floyd's paper came out. And then the editor of science wrote a defense of nature. So nature kind of wrote a piece defending themselves. And then the editor of science wrote a piece defending nature. And all of it was all of it was ridiculous. And it included these kinds of arrogant statements like, we can't just let people get away with saying, sure, I believe the evidence on this thing over here, but I don't support this policy, which again is a huge misunderstanding of science. So anyway, I was bothered enough by this that I actually did write a tweet. And the QJPS explicitly endorsed uh, Samuel Tilden in the 1876 presidential election you cheeky editor (laughs) so yeah for anyone who for anyone who saw that that was an attempt at you know sarcasm and humor um but but viola the thing that i hear you emphasizing is this like violation of trust this isn't where i go to read opinions about politics presumably there are other places where you'd be you might be happy to read what these people have to say but it should be in another venue it's when it's between these covers that are hollowed ground for the actual work of science, you want to banish these discussions altogether because of what you bring to it as a, as a reader, what your expectations are. I think this, this is my, uh, my first order concern. So, you know, I think about this when I teach. So when I go and teach, there's this contract that I'm going to teach them about uh, public policy. 
and I'm going to not, and I'm not going to talk about the issues that just excite me today. I'm not going to talk about elections. I'm not going to talk about uh, this nature editorial. I'm not going to vent about it and give them my opinion because that's not what we agreed to meet about. But if you know, if when I'm on this podcast, that's a different story. They do not have to turn on this podcast. In fact, there's this implicit agreement that when they do, they're going to hear our uh, very biased and, and uh, particular opinions, uh, and, and that's perfectly fine. And, and I think this is, this is where the editors made a mistake, that they abuse this trust that, the, you know, we put them in a position of, uh, of power for a very different reason than uh, what they delivered. And my question, my, my challenging question is now, did they abuse the trust by writing the editorial or did they reveal with the editorial that they've been abusing this trust the whole time? Uh, that's right. That Do we now have an obligation to revisit all that's come out of that journal with a measure uh, of heightened skepticism because they've shown themselves to be something other than faithful stewards of the scientific enterprise. Of course, absolutely. I mean, no question. I mean, pick a highly politicized topic on which there's some you know, salient disagreement between Trump and Biden or Democrats and Republicans or whatever. Um, somebody submits a serious scientific paper that says, hey, you know, it turns out climate change isn't as bad as we thought before versus an equally, uh, equally high quality paper that says actually climate change is worse than you thought. Which of those papers do you think they're more likely to publish? It turns out COVID vaccines are more effective than you thought or less effective than you thought. Which of those papers are they more likely to publish? You go down the line, all of a sudden now, how reliable are these things in the journal? Now, maybe, maybe, maybe there's lots of things in, in nature that are not so politicized. And when it comes to they're publishing the latest paper on DNA replication, there's no reason to think that there's any political bias there. But for anything that's potentially that might potentially inform whether or not you want to vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump, you should worry that they are filtering those studies and only showing you those the results that they want you to see. I mean, so, you know, my knee-jerk reaction is to disagree with you, but when I pause and think a little bit, I think you have a point in that. Uh, again, <laughs> Instinctively, I oppose you. <laughs> no, because, uh, you know, if you think about nature versus other journals, I think there's a perception that nature did venture into the direction of publishing findings that sort of push some agenda that are not necessarily the most careful ones. So in a sense, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised that, that nature was one of those journals that came out with an endorsement. But I think the the sad part is that that's one of the most visible journals for people who are not in academia. And, and that's what they associate with science. So their behavior undermines the reputation of editors that actually I believe are doing a good job and keeping science honest. Is that your bottom line? No, my bottom line is that I really enjoy this paper. You know, my guess is, and, and, and this came across a little bit in the interview, that, that Floyd was uh, a little bit angry and surprised by this endorsement. But in a sense, this doesn't show in his uh, paper. It seems to me that he really tried to approach it in a very calm way. And he said, hey, you know, maybe it actually goes in the other direction and people now flock to reading uh, nature. And he seemed to really have done a very good job and he, he's very careful about his conclusions. So I think he added a very reasonable and scientific uh, voice to a conversation that was already happening in certain groups that was not scientific, that was more based on, I think this is right, I think this is wrong. His work 
itself was a model of scientific practice and inquiry proceeding as it should. So I, I, I share that view. I thought he was – that he in the interview and the article itself is, is measured and on point and terrifically interesting. And the thing that I guess I'd lift up is the set of outcomes that he looks at while all – limited to, you know, immediate reactions of a nationally representative or something close to it sample of U.S. adults, nonetheless are really rich. I mean, he looked at what does this endorsement mean for not just people's views about these two candidates, but their views about science more broadly and their appetite for learning more from science. That's where it starts to, the findings start to really cut deep. I mean, that we see sort of null effects when it comes to the candidates themselves. I don't know. It's fine. That'd be fine to see. It's good to see here. But it's these these downstream and these larger effects, which are going to have implications for not just nature's readership, but I guess I do care that the, the public be willing to continue to fund investments in science. And I hope that there are stages on which real scientists can come forward and say, here's what I I, I've discovered and and have those findings be taken seriously and, and meaningfully engaged with. What Floyd's studies shows is that you can't take that for granted and there actually are some real things you can do to compromise it. Where do I start? I've, I still have, even though we've been talking for so long, I still feel like I have so much to say. I'm still worked up about this. Um, and so I, I have too much to say for one bottom line. I, I agree with everything you guys said. This is a great paper. It was fun to talk to Floyd. I'm, I'm glad that he did it. I'm, I'm glad that he did this paper. This was a worthwhile enterprise. I'm glad that Nature Human Behavior published the paper. Um, we haven't talked at all about the journal Nature Human Behavior, which is a different journal, but a subsidiary journal of nature, they themselves, their editors wrote a ridiculous uh, piece essentially saying that from now on, we're no longer doing objective science. From now on, we reserve the right to reject and retract papers um, that we think even if they're done well scientifically, they uh, don't serve our preferred political agenda. Like they are a ridiculous journal. And yet they published this paper, which is a very good paper, um, which was a needed paper. What else is there to say? We didn't talk, we didn't talk much about the fact that the Biden supporters slightly increase, not by a lot, but maybe slightly increase their their trust in nature and trust in science as a result of this. Why? What, what what's what's wrong with those Biden supporters? Uh they shouldn't. They shouldn't. That's a mistake, I think. Should, That's yeah. a grave error that they're making. So normally I'm normally I'm defending the rational voters. Uh, this is a case where I don't think they were right to increase their trust in nature um, in that in that particular case. Uh, we, so lots of things we could have talked about more, but didn't. Uh, but a really interesting paper. It was fun to talk about it with you guys. We will probably return to these topics at some point throughout the podcast because, of course, <laughs> uh, because, of course, the scientific process and trust in the scientific process are among the most important things for us to think about and study and care about and so forth. And we're going to revisit the downstream effects of your endorsement of Tilden on the American electorate in yes, 2024. Uh -huh. We'll see. Yeah, it didn't work. Um, he didn't win the election, which is really disappointing <laughs> for us. But argue, you know, he arguably got more votes, but then there was this whole corrupt thing with Congress and the judges and whatnot and, and so for any people who are really strong Rutherford B. Hayes fans, the QJPS is not for you. <laughs> We're a Tilden Journal now. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Not Another Politics Podcast. 
Our show is a podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy and is produced by Matt Hodap. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.